listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Damian Parson and Blake Murphy. All about your Arizona Cardinals. And welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, got a couple of things this week. We'll talk a bit about the loss to Philadelphia. Talk a little bit with Mookie Alexander to preview the Seahawks game. Talk a little bit about Cardinals and what the running back situation may look like and how that injury report holds up. First and foremost, a bit of an announcement to get to. Uh, Damien, my normal co-host, has decided to step back from Vox Media at this time, which includes the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, So I'm reaching out to bring in some guests. It'll most likely be either an early week show followed by a late week preview or maybe something like this. It'll be all wrapped in one. Uh, excited to talk to Mookie, Cardinals, Seahawks, uh, just a fantastic rivalry between the two teams, partially just of how, how crazy the games are. But in other words, we'll get to that first. Let's talk about Arizona and Philadelphia. This was a game that I think, and I said this going in, I didn't believe the Cardinals were going to win. I wanted the Cardinals to come out, show some heart, and just not be down 21-0 to in the first quarter. And you know what? They did avoid that. They were only down 7-0 at the end of the first quarter, uh, down 14-10 to at the half. They end up coming back in the game and, unfortunately, just are not able to put the Eagles away despite uh, outscoring them in the second half 7-3, to in part because of that final sequence. So talk a little bit about that. Obviously, it's the end of the week. People have already moved on. But I think it's important to point out that the Cardinals came to this game, and most of the feedback that Eagles fans had was, Cardinals are a bad team. We should easily be able to handle and beat this team. They're not good at home. And what ended up happening? Well, kind of your typical Arizona Cardinals 2022 game, where the Eagles looked like they were going to dominate. Cardinals punt after getting one first down. You see a blown block. Rondell Morris tackled for loss. And then you end up seeing Kyler Murray go essentially three and out on the second series. A punt, and the Eagles go on a pretty easy 11-play drive, followed by the Arizona Cardinals taking over, and Kyler Murray taking at deep shot that gets picked off. Essentially the exact same play that they ran for DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Murray places it probably a little bit short under thrown. Maybe if it's a little bit further, that's a long touchdown or at least a long completion, and Kyler keeps going without, I believe, any 30-plus pass plays on the season. One of the only teams. It's it's just been one of those crazy areas. If you've got Hollywood Brown on your team, and he's kind of been your possession receiver, and they've taken a couple of deep shots to him, but none of them have really connected, and part of it's because Hollywood has not really gotten any sort of uh, free release or openness or blown coverage. It's just been a little bit predictable in that case. Now, After the Cardinals punt again, the Eagles then go on another long drive. It seemed like that was going to be it, but Cardinals get their first score, I believe, in the uh, one of the first scores they've had in the first half of a game, I should say, at least their first touchdown of the first half. And it ultimately started with that big pass play to Hollywood Brown after the defense essentially stepped up. And that's one thing I think at least that I've said is this Cardinals defense. They're going to go from underrated to just rated. 
Uh, they're essentially going from just overachieving to now we just have to say this is just achieving. They have seen Byron Murphy continue to play well. Uh, he seems to be due in line to get paid at the end of the season. Uh, essentially, you see A.J. Brown get three catches. Um, when they brought back Antonio Hamilton, he kind of goes into the slot, which has been where A.J. Brown has made quite a bit of uh, music. And the Eagles don't have a 100-yard receiver on the day, but you do see Dallas Goddard on some screen passes and bubble passes. It's always curious, at least, that the Eagles somehow are able to run these type of bubble screens for huge gains, something Vance Joseph's defense has always seemed to struggle with as far as contains. Maybe that's just the nature of it. It's an aggressive attacking defense that strives to make big plays and ultimately wasn't quite able to make the big one in this game. But they were able to, for the most part, uh, hold their own and hold the Eagles to 20 points. It's two games now the Cardinals have held their opponents to 20 points or less, and yet the offense... It's been the issue. And I think that's where a lot of people are going to look at Cliff Kingsbury. I think you can look at the first half for a lot of the flaws. I think it's very fair. You can say once the scripted plays kind of finish, you get into the second quarter. Cardinals are able to essentially drive down. You've got Marquise Brown makes an awesome catch and run. He's essentially on pace still for like some 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. That is essentially Hopkins slash superstar level for him. Arizona ends up essentially putting together couple of good plays they're able to go down and get that field goal to end the half with a two-minute warning uh you have a huge miss over the middle to zach Ertz. he's open just did not get him right just before the two-minute warning you've got a pass at hollywood brown probably has a wide open um green place in front of him takes his eyes off the ball as one is wont to do and they see green grass at times it's just it's unfortunate when those sort of drops and stuff can happen but it does show at least how close the Cardinals have been connecting. Close, obviously, as we'll find out from the last part of the game, doesn't quite cut it. But when you talk about the team that is still undefeated in the NFL, Arizona threw everything at them, despite being down their starting center, being down their two veteran running backs. The fact that they were in position to tie the game, I think at least, is not to say that there's a moral victory, because there's not, but it at least seems to indicate to me that when this team gets Hopkins back, I think some of those moral victories at a loss, you can just call them losses if we want, I think those can turn into wins. I think those can turn into wins. Now, Cardinals essentially end up driving down the field at halftime. Um, with 10 seconds left, they pass to Rondale Moore, take a shot to Zach Ertz. Eventually at third and goal, they just decide seven seconds left, let's take the field goal. Chip shot, Matt Amendola makes it. Both teams then make great second-half adjustments. <clears throat> the Eagles are able to drive down the field for the most part. <coughs> Excuse me. And a lot of it is ultimately not any sort of big plays, not any sort of big issues. Like, even the Eagles still had multiple offensive holding calls in some of their large plays. <clears throat> and I think at least that the biggest case that you can say is that when Arizona got down there, you had that holding call. It's first and 20 at the Arizona 25. You end up having an incompletion force. Zach Allen basically bats the pass down. Suddenly it's second and 20. You have a fantastic tackle made um, by Byron Murphy 
on another short horizontal passing game for, for all the crap that we give Cliff Kingsbury. We've kind of seen this college Eagles offense essentially revert to it as well. And it makes some sense. You've got Devonta Smith. You've got A.J. Brown. Dallas Goddard is a athletic running tight end. You can break a tackle. But it also can bite you in the butt, which as we saw with this penalty, the Eagles are not able to get into the end zone. Uh, they end up having to kick a field goal. It's good to go. They're up 17-10. to 10. Cardinals are able to essentially, after exchanging blows, go back down and get that last touchdown to Eno Benjamin. Cardinals offense operating essentially kind of, you feel like, on one leg with some of these injuries. But they still have, at least for the most part, a good portion of their starters in there. Uh, you end up seeing at least the third and five. A.J. Green on a comeback route, I believe at least, is able to pick up six yards. And then you end up having essentially a uh, nice long play to Rondale Moore that ends up picking up at least 28 yards. And I think Rondale, with one of these types of plays that you can see, this was one where he ran more downfield routes than he did routes behind the line of scrimmage, but he didn't get as many downfield targets. And I think that's what Cardinals fans are looking for. Cardinals fans obviously know that when we saw Greg Dorch play well downfield and we've seen plays in this game like one of the best examples I would argue at least is you have that um, Rondale Moore catch and run that he's able to essentially on I think it was like some third and 17 unless I'm mistaken he's able to yeah third and 17 he essentially picks up 17 yards it's a new first down and it looked like that the Cardinals were just giving up on the play you know they had a holding call on Will Hernandez. He gets booted from the game. Uh, note later, at least in the week, that while Hernandez was ejected from the game for bumping a ref, the other player was fined. Will Hernandez was not. I consider that enough of the league looking and reviewing and saying he bumped an official, was not intentional, was not at fault. And I think that he responded well by not necessarily hurting or injuring another player, but at least standing up for James Conner after he had been tackled unnecessarily. Um... That's one of the things, I think, at least, that we saw, at least, as he got suspended from the last game. We got that news, at least, that he was going to not be fined for it from Carolina, and he came back this game, and I think he played overall pretty well. The Eagles were not able to get to Kyler Murray as much in the pocket. If there were issues, it was it was the disjointed passing game on third down when the Cardinals were not able to simply hand the ball at times to James Conner. Um, we still saw Eno Benjamin be able to at least play well, and he's going to have to play well this week. And, of course, you have what I think was the killer for the game. You need a stop. You can't get it. It's second and 12 at the Arizona 36, in part because the Eagles simply looked at Arizona and said, all right, we can run the ball on you. It's almost like they basically just said, all right, this is it. We're done playing around. Like, stop playing with your food. Their offense essentially is able to just run right up the middle with Jalen Hurts, with Miles Sanders, with Kenneth Gainwell, uh, picking up gains of 6, 11, 9 yards. You're all the way at Arizona's 38. And then you have a 1-yard pickup that you know, was very close, but Jalen Hurts is able to make it. And then perhaps the big play of the game, uh, Byron Murphy makes a tackle on Miles Sanders, just a read that you would normally say that the running back should pick up a couple of yards on uh um, like, you know, get to third and five. You might be at least able to get it at that point. You could run the ball and still kick a field goal. And said so Byron Murphy makes a fantastic tackle for a two-yard loss. Essentially, the Cardinals knew what was coming with times at the Eagles game, and some plays, they were able to quickly diagnose and stop it. 
There were others. You see Devonta Smith at least get the screen, pick up about you know, six or seven yards. Yeah. Twitter was kind of unknown. Isaiah Simmons kind of took a quick step of hesitation before he got in place. Closing speed, he made the tackle, but when you're in this league, you have to be able to read things and progress mentally because athleticism at some point is going to fade or you're going to just get out-athleted because that's how it is. Football is ultimately a chess game that's played out on a football field in real life. And so you have to be aware of where the pieces are going to fall and know what your opponent's moves and tendencies are going to be ahead of time. Because even though the Cardinals knew that they were going to be probably getting a switch to a screen pass, they weren't able to get a stop for it. They were able, however, to, from some great play like that from Byron Murphy, force a few tackles from loss. <sighs> and then, of course, you have the 16-yard pickup. Dennis Gardick misses a tackle, goes from essentially kicking a field goal, maybe even missing a field goal with a backup kicker, to a first down. Now, the Cardinals do manage to be able to, within that time of the two-minute warning, they use their timeouts. I've always said that I've disagreed with how Cliff manages his timeouts. Usually he likes to use the two-minute warning, use a few timeouts, keep one of those in the bag in case he has to use it, and then be able to trust Kyler Murray to execute that two-minute offense to perfection. And it almost worked. Obviously, on third and five, Vance Joseph brings the pressure. You have a blitz. It's a gotta-have-it type of a touchdown place to put Arizona away. Jalen Hurts just kind of throws it up for grabs. It just really showed one of those, I guess I can say, maybe you can say that there was some brain farts. I'll say it's a little different. That's one of those game-ending type of interceptions. If Jalen Thomas is able to haul that in. He's hurt during the play. You're inside of two minutes, obviously. We can talk about the timeout usage. But he's hurt during the play. If he had used all the timeouts ahead of time, you probably would have had an official timeout and a 10-second runoff. Um, would have occurred, so you'd be probably looking at about 1 minute and 35 seconds left in the game. Not too bad. Um, one of the reasons why I think you just use your timeouts ahead of time. You at least may not have as much time, but, man, you're going to have two minutes versus what the Cardinals had as far as a minute and 35, 45 seconds left, maybe of 2.15. The good news is the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, he starts using his legs. This is something that had been missing from the game before, something I think has been still missing from the first quarter. He ends up picking up multiple yards, drives down to Ertz. They miss a deep passing play on second and eight. Ertz is wide open in the coverage by the sideline, just airmails it. Just kind of one of those days, at least, that you can tell that Kyler's not been playing quite at an MVP level. But you can also see, at least, that it, it's like it's close. A little bit closer. And that's been really what football comes down to is a game of inches. Cardinals are not able to get that. It doesn't matter as much. They still drive down to Philly. And then what you've got essentially is um, Marquise Brown picks up on second and five. Kyler Murray spikes the ball to stop the clock. He then picks up nine yards on second and ten. And this is where I think, at least my perspective has been, is where the Cardinals failed. Because the Cardinals... Did not fail, I think, at least because Kyler Murray went and slid a little bit early. For me, I'm watching on that broadcast, and all you need for the most part, in my opinion, is a chance. And I, looking at the Cardinals, no timeouts. If they pick up the first down, the clock stops, the chains move, you spike the ball, you have a couple of shots left to get into the end zone. But it felt like momentum was on Arizona's side. They had just, and I know some people don't believe momentum, I, I, I think at least you can look at the way that a game narrative plays out. 
Other things that are there, the Cardinals had forced an error of Jalen Hurts. They'd been slowly increasing the pressure. Philly had only been able to put up six points in this half. Cardinals have been able to drive down multiple times, including getting a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Their game goes to overtime. Cardinals could get the ball, potentially drive down and win the game. Or at least you would hope that Vance Joseph would have a blitz similar to what they dialed up um, with the likes of Russell Wilson in that overtime Seattle game in 2020 to be able to at least force some form of a sack or a turnover. Instead, Matthew Mandola goes wide right. The film broadcast showed how nervous he looked before and was commented on. And I think that what the failure of the Cardinals came down to wasn't Cliff trying to see if he could just go for two or take another shot. It wasn't Kyler Murray, I think, ducking down and trying to slide a bit early. Maybe I think you dive forward, you know, where your head lands versus your butt. You can dive underneath for the most part. And most players at least knowing that if they smack that quarterback in the head with that elbow, it's going to be a 15-yard penalty. And suddenly, yeah, Arizona's on the one-yard line. Or at least in that spot, you would be looking at saying they'd probably be at least within the 10, so you're first in goal with seconds left to play in the game. Kind of crazy, but you're not going to miss probably a field goal from that close. Instead, the Cardinals in their faults, I believe, falls onto the general manager, who this week signed Matt Amendola who, albeit the Kansas City Chiefs had signed early, and I think that it comes down to not necessarily, like, lack of scouting, as some have said, or even some have wondered, could Matt Amendola be making less money on the practice squad from Rodrigo Blankenship? You save a couple thousand bucks knowing Matt Prater's coming back versus having to sign a veteran. I think that it's more simple than that. I think what probably happened is the Cardinals bring in all their kickers, and either Amendola kicks the best, or maybe you say his accuracy as far as kicking is bad, but, man, he can at least kick it and get that touchback in the end zone, and as a special teams coach, I could see that being the case for Jeff Rogers if they, you know, addressed it with their special teams coach. That's obviously the assumption that you make, but it would be, of course, foolish for them to not have that included. But you kind of get what you pay for in a result. You know that Amendola has made 25% of his kicks from 40-plus yards. It's not that they've been straight down the middle. It's like he just randomly will pull in. No, no. They're like kicks still kind of hugging the time. He's not an accurate kicker. And we even saw earlier this season, a lot of people, they said they were going to sign Amendola. said, well, clearly he's the best. Why they didn't pursue Rodrigo Blankenship? Well, he must have not done as well. You know, maybe he missed kicks too. The end of the day, I know that Blankenship had missed a 42-yarder. But I watched that Chiefs game against the Colts. The Colts are a team that could be competing for the number two overall pick. Heck, maybe even the number one pick. And the Chiefs were struggling to run the ball, but still able to move the ball. The reason why they lost was missed field goals, missed extra points, and Mandola caved under the pressure. You come to a place, and I think you can have redemption. We saw it even with Zane Gonzalez, who missed, I believe, an extra point, or I believe it was either out or a field goal, I know for sure, that caused Arizona to get back. Um, two overtime, he gets redemption. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks game being a prime example of that. But that was kind of the redemption for Matt Amendola, huh? And we'll see how it goes this week. Matt Prater is still out. You know, our site writer Seth Cox said that he's predicting a 34-33 Cardinals loss to the Seahawks with two missed extra points being the difference. I, I think that is hilarious because it would be very Cardinals football. But overall, the biggest takeaway I had from this Cardinals team is simply this. This Cardinals team came in and has struggled in the first quarter, 
They have a win over a Raiders team that has struggled. They have a win over a Panthers team. They're playing an undefeated Eagles team. They could have easily tossed in the towel. Instead, this team played with heart. This team played adjust, adjusting very well. And this team, I think, gave a lot of confidence that, hey, the undefeated team can come into our building, a team that hasn't won here in over a year now, based on the time frame for this, and we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. That is a good sign. The Cardinals may be able to actually turn this thing around. And it might not just be that it's a turnaround for the Cardinals. You've got an opportunity to be 500 before Hopkins comes back and make that second half collapse that Cliff goes through instead, a second half climb to perhaps uh, something in a division that the Cardinals haven't had for a while, being able to at least have a shot at taking down a team like the Rams or at least being able to contend with a Niners team that has had to resort to Jimmy Garoppolo, who has his faults, is the reason why they drafted Trey Lance, and a Seahawks team that's defense has been atrocious. We'll be back talking at least about the moves the Cardinals have made this week here on the ROTV pod. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Brief section before we get in with Mookie, talk to Seattle. Let's go over some moves the Cardinals made this week. They signed running back Corey Clement to the practice squad. They also end up bringing in, I believe, at least another running back as well. Apparently, it's my Ravens. The name escapes me. I'll look it up here in a quick second. But ultimately, it tells you that you're probably not going to see Jonathan Ward for quite a while. Because... If you were going to see Jonathan Ward come back pretty quickly, you probably were going to at least see the Cardinals sign one running back. Not two. Uh, Tyson Williams, the wing. Ty apostrophe son Williams, former Ravens running back. Signed to the practice squad. Ultimately, the idea, at least with James Conner, is that he may be out of Sunday's game expected and maybe even after that. You could be talking about James Conner not being back until the Saints game at the perhaps earliest, maybe... But it would not shock me if Arizona looks at their situation and say, we want James for down the stretch healthy. He was not healthy last year. Let's hold him out for week six on the bye week, give him some extra time off after that week seven Thursday night game. That means it's the Eno Benjamin show against the worst rushing defense in the NFL. Oh, man, hopefully people's fantasy teams are ready to go. Um, with those signings that are there, you also can look at the Cardinals and some of their injuries. I think it's worth continuing to look at DJ Humphreys and Justin Pugh. Guys who essentially have been, last couple of weeks, limited in practice, but are still playing. I will be grateful when the Cardinals, should they be able to get to that bye week, if they can get through that Thursday night game without a serious injury. Um, they have at least one depth piece that they can go to in Josh Jones, but anything beyond that has just been brutal. They've been missing offensive guard number two. Offensive guard number three. Offensive guard number three has had to play center, so now you're down to offensive guard number four and Max Garcia. Max Garcia at least is out and missing time, so now you're down to essentially having your starting center of Sean Harlow, who played pretty well, be limited in practice. And after that, you're up to Billy Price, a street-free agent that the team has signed. So you're looking at, if you have an injury to Sean Harlow in the game and Billy Price comes in, ugh, you, you, you were going to be starting to look at least at... I'm going to play Josh Jones if you should see Justin Pugh go out for any reason whatsoever. That is just something that is pretty crazy. Um, I think it's fortunate that the Cardinals are not right now expecting Rodney Hudson to be out for the season. 
Um, getting him back, I think, is important. Getting some rest for Justin Pugh, who's been able to play through what seems to be a nasty elbow injury, has been key. At the end of the day, I think the most important player at the Cardinals, at least, could be without on Sunday, is their kicker. Because when you go from a great quarterback to a bad one, it really stands out. I think you can even say that it stood out for the Cardinals back in that 2016 season. When you can see Mike Leach retires, they bring in Cameron Canaday. Long snapper on his first game, fumbles the snap. Kick does not go through. Cardinals end up rotating through several punters, finally end up settling on Andy Lee, and it's been consistency ever since. That's really how it goes at quarterback. You might not win every game with your quarterback, but you at least can see consistency with expectations. Like, you're not going to just get a solid series of duds usually every once in a while. You'll have one of those. But you at least are able to have consistency. And without that, you're kind of looking at the Cardinals. Had a couple of guys signed. Dicker was a kicker who was signed. You've got other kickers who made multiple um, kicks that turned into game-winning kicks. Cardinals seem to not be able to find it. And I think that's what I'll call the Steve Kime gambit for the safety. That's what I'm focusing on. Kime is gambling. He's gambling on his draft pick. Keontae Ingram, who will probably have to carry the ball some, and I'm excited to see. I think I'm more excited for 2023 Keontae than I am for Sunday Keontae because I want to see what happens to him after a year of being in the system, learning how to pass block. He's a guy who's got the same size but more athleticism than James Conner and, might I say, some of those same receiving skills. But the time gamble, at least, I think is if... Cardinals win on Sunday and their kicker makes multiple field goals. Steve Kime will be proven correct. He will have essentially been able to be venerated. And if he misses a kick or multiple extra points and the Cardinals end up losing the game, well, then it almost feels like that Steve Kime doubled down, pushed his chips in the middle of the table, and you realize that he was holding probably a queen high in the game of poker. Queen high. You can get beat out by king high, ace high. Two of a kind will beat you. That, I think, at least, is what the Cardinals currently have with Matt Amendola. And I don't think it's Amendola's fault. He is simply going out there and doing his job to the best of his ability. It's the Cardinals and their scouting that, unfortunately, at least has seen their depth tested. And what we've seen with the Cardinals is they usually have depth for one tier. Heck, they even on their offensive line, they've got enough depth, at least, to be able to last an injury at tackle, and maybe even an injury on the interior of the offensive line. But you're down two centers, your backup center, your backup guard. It gets tricky. And that's really where the Cardinals, I think, have been tested this season. Um, you'd hope to see that some rookie draft pick could come in and step up and make a choice uh, to be able to essentially put their best foot forward. And so I think we've got Kime here with the Cardinals, at least, who is... Uh, hopefully not going to go cheap. I think that you'll hope for and push for a redemption story. And one of the things I really, truly hope is that Matt Amendola is able to go out on Sunday and doesn't even have to worry about making a game-winning kick because the Cardinals are going up on the Seahawks. Enough that it does not matter. But if it does come down to it, then I hope that he makes the kick and it just recognizes to show that we're all human to some degree. We're all essentially doing our best. No NFL kicker is trying to intentionally miss a kick on purpose. Even Steve Kime, you can say, is doing his best. I think sometimes you can always maybe question certain parts of the process, though. And that's something that we'll see on Sunday, because if this Cardinals team goes out and wins, they've accomplished their goal. They're essentially putting themselves in the driver's seat to get back into the division. 
And if they lose them that two and four, it's not impossible to overcome, but you'll be behind Seattle. You'll probably be behind the Rams. You'll definitely be at least a game or two games behind the San Francisco 49ers. And you'll be 0-2 in the division. It's not to say this is a must-win game. It's just a game that if you do drop this game, you will have to overcome additional obstacles. And maybe if Arizona had been able to pull out a win against the Rams, pull out a win against this Eagles team, maybe you get to talk about 4-2, and two, this exceptional ability to overcome the loss of Hopkins. Or at least being able to say that, hey, you're, you're playing with cash money, which is how I felt about the Eagles game last week. Didn't have to beat the Eagles so long as you could win this game. We'll see how it goes. All right, that'll wrap it up here for this episode. It's a two-parter this week for Revenge of the Birds. If you want to listen to a Seattle Seahawks preview, I'll be here with Mookie Alexander from our SB Nation site at Field Goals. Uh, you can find him also at Mookie Alexander. Uh, that will be coming up here as our next show for the RTV pod. Thanks again for tuning in. It's been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thanks again for listening in, and go Cards.